want you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26 this evening. It's good to bring the Lord's Day to a close in this way, meeting together for a period of devotion, just a period of prayer and singing together and study from God's Word and get us ready to face the coming week and the challenges that we will face as a day follows day until the next appointed time, as we say sometimes. Somebody's described the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as crucifixion accounts with long introductions. And I think that's, there, there's a lot of truth to that. The crucifixion of Jesus is really the central event in the Gospel. And a disproportionate amount of space and material is devoted to that. And so a great deal of, of space is devoted to uh, the account of the crucifixion, the last week, the days leading up to that. In the book of Matthew, that starts in Matthew chapter 21 and goes through chapter uh, 27, and then the resurrection, of course, in, in chapter 28. And so there's about a fourth of the material in Matthew devoted to eight days or so in the life of Christ. And so you can see why people would say that these are crucifixion accounts with long in introductions. Everything is leading up to the crucifixion of Christ. Jesus talks about His coming crucifixion from rather early on. In, in Mark chapter 8, for example, Peter gives the good confession, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And, and beginning at that point, Jesus begins to explain to them in, in some detail that He would go to Jerusalem, that He would be arrested, and that He would be crucified and then rise again the third day. But that's not the first time He talked about His coming death. As early as the second chapter of John, Jesus says that, destroy this temple, speaking of the temple of His body, destroy this temple, I'll raise it up again on the third day. And so, and so Jesus knew all along that He would be going to the cross. And again, that's the central event in the Gospel. And as we think about those days and think about what happened. Our, our eyes and our focus should be sharply on Jesus and what Jesus did on the cross. We talked about that to some extent this morning. But you know, there are some other figures in the story of the crucifixion that are interesting as, as well. We shouldn't allow the, the, the study of these figures to divert our attention away from Christ. But there are some very powerful lessons to be learned. The, these are human beings like you and like me. And we can learn about ourselves, some dangers that we might face as typical human beings. Some of them do very badly. Some of them do very well. And so I want to talk a little bit about some of the characters and some of the figures that we interact with and that we're exposed to as we study the crucifixion of Christ. The first one uh, is uh, Judas. We're going to talk about Judas tonight. Judas, of course, is a interesting figure. He's uh, one of the more despicable figures in, in human history, as it turns out. But I'm going to talk about Judas and his role in the crucifixion. There's an artist's depiction of Judas. Uh, I don't know what Judas looked like. You know, that's interesting. We really don't know what any of the Bible figures look like very much. We don't have very much information about them. And we don't know what Judas looked like. But in that uh, artist's rendition. He, he, he looks a little sketchy there, doesn't he? His eyes are, are off, to the, off to the side, and he's, you can see he's calculating, he's, uh, uh, he's plotting, he's planning, and that fits the character of Judas well. 
Let's talk about some information about Judas to begin with, just some personal information. Again, we don't know a lot about the background of Judas or, or a lot of the figures that we uh, come across in the Bible story. We know that his father was named Simon. We see that in John chapter 6 and verse 71. And we're not going to read all of these passages. I'll call them out. And if you're interested in pursuing that, you can at another time. We know that Judas was a, a very common name. There are several people named Judas in the New Testament. One of Jesus' brothers was named Judas. In fact, another one of the apostles was named Judas as well. You can see that in Acts chapter 1 and verse 13. He is the son of James. One of the famous heroes in the history of the Jews during that period between Malachi and Matthew, sometimes called that intertestamental period, one of the famous figures in the history of the Jews was Judas Maccabeus. And so Judas was a common name, and lots of people, uh, lots of men were, were named Judas, and, and this is one, one of them. Well, what about this Judas Iscariot? What about that description, Iscariot? Well, people are not quite sure exactly what's being conveyed by that, by that description. Some suggest that he was from a town named Cariot. And so Judas, a man of, uh, of Cariot. Uh, if that's the case, carry out there, there are, I think, more than one of these, but one of them was in Judea. And if it's true that he was from this town, he was the only apostle not from Galilee. And so he might have been sort of an outsider from that point of view. But there are other explanations as well. Some associate this word with the word sicari, which is a dagger that a group of Jews who came to be known as the Assassins would carry around with them. And so maybe Judas was one of them at one time. And so Judas, uh, a man from the Sicari, from the Assassins. And then another idea is that he's the, uh, the man, uh, a man of the lie, L-I-E, a man of the lie. And so he's known for being a liar, for a man who tells lies. In other words, a traitor. And so there are several explanations to this term Iscariot, and, and uh, people are not 100% sure which one of those is right, or maybe another. But Judas was one of the twelve, and that's an, that's an interesting thing. Judas was a disciple of Jesus, and he was one of the disciples that Jesus selected to be among his closest companions. And so he was taken from these disciples that followed Jesus and made an apostle. In fact, he's named in all the lists of apostles. Matthew chapter 10 says, Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. And so Jesus is giving authority to these 12 to go out and preach. They're to go out and preach the gospel of the kingdom. They're to go, in this case, only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So sometimes this is called the limited commission because they're told to go out, and, but just to, the, just to Israelites, not to Gentiles, just to Israelites. But look at the authority that Jesus gives them, authority over unclean spirits, to cast them out, to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. And we know that they go out and do that. But who were those to whom Jesus gave this, this authority? Well, they were the twelve apostles. Verse 2, the first Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip, and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. 
And so Judas was one of the twelve given this authority, and Judas must have gone out with the others and, and preached the gospel and healed people and told them that the kingdom of heaven was coming and so forth. And so he would have traveled with Jesus. He would have heard Jesus' teaching. He would have seen His miracles. He would have been one of these that went out in the upper room. He would have been one whose feet Jesus washed. And so he was one of the, one of the twelve. He also kept the money box. And so he was uh, the treasurer for the apostles. You see that in John chapter 12 and verse 6 and chapter 13 and verse 29. Now, I would have, I would have anticipated Matthew keeping the money box. Well, what did Matthew do for a living? He, he's a tax collector. That seems to be a, a natural, doesn't it? Matthew, the tax collector, we're going to let you take care of the money that uh, well, we're provided with to, you know, to provide for ourselves and so forth. But, but, but it wasn't Matthew, it was Judas. And so Judas must have been trusted by the others to keep track of this. But of course he proves himself to be untrustworthy, doesn't he? Well, what did Judas do? Let's just uh, review those events as we get into the lesson. Well, and, and so that's, that's Matthew chapter 26. Uh, the chief priests and Pharisees and others, they'd been seeking an opportunity to do away with Jesus. And so you see that in verse 3, the chief priests, the elders of the people were gathered together in the court of the high priest named Caiaphas. They plotted together to seize Jesus by stealth and kill Him. But they were saying, not during the festival, otherwise a riot might occur among the people. And so they're looking for an opportunity to seize Jesus and to, and to kill Him. Now, actually they've been looking for an opportunity for quite some time. If you go back earlier, for example, in the book of Matthew, but the other gospel writers bear this out as well, in chapter 12 and verse 14, the Pharisees went out and conspired against Him as to how they might destroy Him. And so this is some time earlier. In fact, if you go all the way back to John chapter 5, when they perceive that Jesus is making Himself equal with God, my Father is working to now and I work, and they perceive that He's making Himself equal with God, they pick up stones to stone Him. And so for quite some time now, they've been looking for an opportunity to, to really do away with Jesus. It seems that when Jesus entered the city of Jerusalem, here, here we are at the, the Passover, they're interest in and uh, their intensity about having Jesus killed increases. And so they just become more intent, more in intense about seeing this through. And so we're looking for an opportunity. Uh, not during the feast. Uh, there, there might be a riot if we were to do that. You know, there, he has enough followers in the city that that would just might, might really cause problems. And so they're searching, it says, by stealth for an opportunity to kill him. And so during this week, during the last week, Judas conspires with the chief priest to betray Jesus. And so Judas goes to the, these leaders, the chief priests, the scribes, the Pharisees, and others. He goes to them and he reaches an agreement. He offers his services. And so look at verse 14 of Matthew 26. Then one of the twelve, named Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and says, What are you willing to give me to betray him to you? 
and they weighed out 30 pieces of silver to him. From then on, he began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. And so he, he goes to the chief priest. He's one of the inner circle, we might say, one of the 12. And so he, he leaves, he goes to the chief priest. He said, now what do you give me, what, what do you give me to betray him to you? And so here's someone who's an insider. He knows Jesus' movements. He knows where he might be at what time and all of those kinds of things. And so they reach an agreement with him and they give him 30 pieces of silver. Now, 30 pieces of silver is not a pit, pittance, but, but it's not an, an, an especially great amount of money either. If, if, if this was uh, denarii, well, then it would be a month's wage. Well, whatever that is, a month's wage. And so, again, it's not an insignificant amount, but then it's not just a humongous amount of money either. And so, and so they reach that agreement. And Luke chapter 22 and verse 5 tells us that, that they give him this, this money, this, these 30 pieces of silver. And so Judas begins to think, now, now what would be a good time to deliver him to, uh, to, these, to these people? And, and where, where would be a good place? Let me think about where Jesus goes and what he does, when he does it, when, when might be a good time when he's vulnerable and there's not a big crowd of people around. And so you see that reflected maybe in the picture here. He's, he's thinking, he's plotting uh, when he can turn Jesus over to, to these leaders. Well, let's continue. Jesus meets with the apostles in the upper room to eat the Passover. You see that in Matthew chapter 26. Jesus, on that occasion, is going to institute the Lord's Supper, you remember. And so he meets with his apostles in the upper room to eat the Passover. And Judas is there. Judas is, is with them. And so when evening came, verse 20 says, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve apostles. And so we've already noted that Judas is one of the twelve. Jesus, on that occasion tells them that one of them would betray him. Now, Jesus knew all along. I believe you go back to John chapter 6. Jesus knew that Judas would betray him. So, Jesus knew this all along. Now, the others didn't know this. And I don't know that Judas himself knew it early on. And so, we've already said that he's one of the apostles. He goes out and preaches and all of those kinds of things, apparently. But Jesus knew from, from the beginning that that Judas would, would betray him. And so on this occasion in the upper room, Jesus tells them, one of you is going to betray me. You see that in verse 21. They were eating, as they were eating, he said, truly I say to you that one of you will betray me. Well, how do they respond to that? You remember how do they respond to that? Being deeply grieved, each one began to say to him, surely not I, Lord. Is it I? Now, just like in English and Greek, you can ask a question that expects a negative answer. And that, that's, that's the way this is expressed. It's not me, is it? You know, is it I? Am I the one? I hope not. I hope I'm not the one. It's kind of the idea. And if you go down to verse 25, And Judas, who was betraying him, said, Surely it is not I, Rabbi. And so Judas enters into this sort of uh, incredulity, you know. It can't be me, can it? Of course, he's pretending, isn't he? He's already made an agreement with the chief priest to betray Jesus. And he can't, he can't let the others know what he's done, and so he just kind of blends in. And well, it's not, it's not, here's, here's the others saying that. And so it, it's, it's, not, it's not me, is it? 
And of course, Jesus then identifies Judas as the betrayer. Verse 23 says, He answered, He who dipped his hand with me in the bowl is the one who will betray me. And so Jesus identifies Judas as the one who would betray him. Look at uh, John chapter 13, verse 26. John's account says this, This is the one for whom I shall dip the morsel and give it to him. So when he had dipped the morsel, dipped the bread into the kind of the, uh, the sauce, uh, that's there connected with the Passover. He took it and gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And so Jesus identifies Judas as the one who would betray him. Now the other, the other apostles, they don't pick up on that. Uh, in fact, uh, Judas leaves the room. Shortly after that, he leaves the room, and they think he's going to give some money to the poor. And so they're, they're, uh, they're slow to pick up on these things. I'm sure it was so unexpected to them that they, they just didn't put it all together till later. Jesus makes some comments along the way. Again, in John chapter 13, verse 18, He says, He who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me. Uh, it, 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 I, I do not speak of all of you. I know the ones I've chosen. But it is that the Scripture may be fulfilled. Now speaking of Judas, he who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me. And so that would be a, a comrade sharing, sharing a meal, eating my bread. We're friends, we're colleagues. The one who eats my bread will lift up his heel against me. In Matthew 26 and verse 24, the Son of Man is to go just as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. And so it's necessary that the Son of Man, the Christ, be betrayed. But the one who does the betraying, woe to that man. He's accountable for his deeds. He's responsible for his deeds. We'll talk about that a little bit more in, in just a few minutes. And then in John chapter 13, verse 27, Jesus tells Judas, you know, what you have to do, do quickly. Judas leaves the room and the apostles again. They don't understand what's going on. They think, well, maybe he's going to give some money to the poor. After the events in the upper room conclude, Jesus goes to Gethsemane. In the meanwhile, Judas has received a band of soldiers. He leads them to the garden. John tells us that Judas knows the place. Uh, Jesus would often go there to pray. So Judas knows the place. So he's kind of, he's figured that out, hasn't he? So he spent some time trying to figure out, now when would be a good time and when would be a good place? Oh, I know, I know. Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus likes to go there. He goes there at night sometimes. And that would be a time when I could bring people to him and, be, and, and identify him and, and they would take him. And that's what he does. Judas leads them to the garden. He guides them. Acts chapter 1 verse 16 identifies him as, as a guide of those who sees Jesus. He identifies Jesus with a kiss. And so maybe the soldiers don't recognize Jesus. They don't know which, which one is Jesus. It's dark in the garden. And so Judas conspires with them, agrees with them. The one that I kiss is the one that you want to take. And so he betrays Jesus with, with a kiss. Jesus then is arrested and bound, led away to be tried and scourged and crucified. Now read about the end of Judas in Matthew chapter 27. Judas is just crushed when he thinks about what he's done. 
Verse 3, when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that he had been condemned, he felt remorse and returned the money, uh, the, the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. And of course, they wouldn't accept it. And so he throws it into the treasury. And then he goes out and he hangs himself. He can't live with himself when, when he realizes what he's done. And uh, he takes his own life. So just in summary, Judas was a disciple of Jesus. He was selected to be one of the apostles. We're told that Jesus knew from the beginning that Judas would betray him. John chapter 6 and verse 64. But it appears that Judas was, as one of the twelve, carried out his work alongside the others. And so he would have been among the twelve who picked up the pieces of bread left over when Jesus fed the 5,000. He saw Jesus' miracles and heard His teaching and, and, and all of those things. That's, that's, that's left some people to wonder what His motivation was. I mean, no, He took 30 pieces of silver. But again, again, that's not a small amount of money, but it's not a large amount of money either. And so some have suggested that Perhaps Judas, like the other apostles, thought Jesus was going to come and liberate Israel from Roman oppression. And when, when it became clear that he wasn't going to do that, Judas turns on him and then hands him over to the, to the authorities. That requires a little speculation, I suppose. We don't want to do too much of that. We don't stick with what the text says. And the text describes Judas as... A devil, John chapter 6, verses 70 and 71. The son of perdition, John 17, verse 12. A thief and a dishonest man, John 12 and verse 6. Eleven times in the New Testament he's identified as the one who betrayed Jesus. <laughs> Not every time, but, but many times, even in the list of apostles. And Judas Iscariot, who would betray him. And so it's very clear that Judas is the betrayer. Well, what do we learn from Judas' involvement in the crucifixion of Christ? Well, we talked a little bit about Judas acts according to the predetermined plan, but in a way that doesn't violate the free will of, of Judas. And so that's, that's complicated, isn't it? That's, that's pretty deep, uh, deep subject. And I don't know that I understand all of that, but, but God had a plan that one of Jesus' friends, someone who shared a meal with him, would lift up his heel against him and, and betray him. And, and I think the plan was for Judas to do. Jesus knew from early on that Judas would betray him. And so this is the predetermined plan of God. And yet Judas is fully responsible for his actions. He recognizes that himself. When uh, he sees that Jesus is condemned... He, he can't live with himself. He understands, this is what I've done. Look at what I've done. I'm accountable. I'm responsible for this. And he hangs himself. So Judas is still responsible for his actions. You know, if a person is coerced, if a person is forced to do something against their will, we, we don't really hold them responsible. Just think about this recent kidnapping case that's been in, in the news lately. Now, if it turned out that the, the law enforcement officer had been kidnapped and that this escapee had, had, had got her gun and held that gun against her and made her drive. Well, we, we wouldn't hold her nearly as responsible as, uh, as it turns out she was, she was apparently involved in it. So if a person is coerced, 
Well, that, that sort of mitigates against their responsibility. And so if Judas couldn't do anything but what he did, if he had no other option, well, is he responsible for doing what he could not help but do? You know, that's really kind of unfair, isn't it? And so the fact that he's accountable suggests that he has the ability not to do those things. He has the ability to choose a different course of action. Now, we know that God knows all things. He knows the end from the beginning, Isaiah 46 and verse 10. In other words, in a series of events, as that series of events begins, Jesus, uh, God knows how it's going to end. He knows the end from the beginning. And so God, God knows all of that, all, all of those things. He's able to bring about His purposes. Thought about the 115th Psalm in verse 3, but our God is in the heavens. He does whatever He pleases. <laughs> God, God can do whatever He pleases. He, he does according to, his, according to His will. There's an interesting statement in the 139th Psalm as well. Uh, and uh, in, in, verse, in verse 15, my, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret you, and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. <laughs> you, you knew my days even before day one. You knew they were written in your book. And yet, we still have the free will to choose to do right or wrong. Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 19, Moses says, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm putting before you life and death. And he encourages them, choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants. I, now I'm laying before you life and death. You, if, if you do these things, you'll live. If you do these things, you'll die. So I'm putting before you life and death. Choose, choose life. That's up to you. you. You choose life. You have the ability to make that decision. And so we may not know, un, understand exactly how all these things can be true. We do know these things, that God is sovereign. We know that we can choose to serve Him. Choose you this day whom you will serve. We know that we'll be held responsible for the choices we make. There will be a day when God will judge the secrets of men according to the gospel. Romans chapter 2 and verse 16 and Romans 14 verse 12. All will give an account of themselves before God. We'll be held accountable for our decisions. All of that suggests that we have the ability to choose right and wrong, to follow God or to not follow God. Judas had that responsibility and that opportunity, that freedom as well. He chose to do wrong, and of course he suffered the consequences. We also learn a lesson about loyalty and faithfulness. We've already suggested that Judas was a disciple and an apostle, not, not only a a disciple. There are many of those, the twelve apostles, special group of disciples that Jesus gave authority to to go out and, and teach. And so Judas was a disciple and also an apostle. He must have pledged his loyalty to Christ at some point. And apparently went out preaching and teaching as well. But there came a time of crisis when he proved not to be loyal and faithful 
to Christ. Now, he must have pledged his loyalty to Christ at some point. But there came a moment of crisis when he decided not to be loyal, not to be faithful. Whether he's motivated by sheer covetousness or whether it's more complicated than that, he proved to be disloyal. Any of us can be a follower when times are not difficult, when times are not challenging. Any of us can be a follower of Christ during those times. But the test comes when we experience discouragement or disillusionment or when we're challenged and when things become difficult. May we choose to be loyal despite the difficulty, despite the challenges. May we be faithful and follow Christ faithfully. There may come a time in our lives when the seeds of doubt sprout, you know. And we struggle with our faith, and we struggle with our loyalty and faithfulness. Well, we, we need to resolve today, come what may, I'm going to be faithful to Christ. Now, I may not understand everything that I face and everything I experience in this life, and those questions may come, but I tell you what, I'm going to be faithful regardless of what comes comes about. Jesus demands our loyalty. Of course, there are lots of passages that we could use to illustrate that point. I think about Matthew chapter 10. Now, this is a part of that passage where Jesus is sending His apostles out to, to preach the gospel to, only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But He says in, in verse 37, Now, he who loves father or mother more than me is not, not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his, his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it. He who lost his life for my sake will find it. That's, that's a pretty strong commitment, isn't it? You follow me. You put me before faithfulness and loyalty to your father and loyalty to your mother and loyalty to your family. I come first. You know, that's a strong commitment. But that's what... Jesus requires of us. Matthew chapter 19, about the rich young ruler comes to Jesus. He asks him, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus tells him, ultimately, sell what you got, give it away to the poor, and come follow me. He thought he was going to make a commitment, didn't he? But, but, but when he realized what was involved, he, his commitment wasn't strong enough. In Luke chapter 9, we read about several who Jesus encounters, or three, in verse 57. They're going along the road, and someone said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says, the foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And so, look, you, you, if you're going to follow me, there are going to be times when you may go without, you know. Let's see how strong your commitment is. He said to another, follow me, but he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. And he said, let the dead bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. What was his problem? His problem was me first. Did you pick up on that? Let me first go bury my father. And in verse 61, another said, I'll follow you, Lord, and permit me to say goodbye to those at home. And Jesus said, no one after putting his hand to the plow, looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. That, that's, that's the commitment and the loyalty and the faithfulness that Jesus demands. And so may we, may we make a commitment to follow Jesus in, in those ways. Judas didn't. And so Judas, you know, Jesus became unfaithful and disloyal. 
He was a disciple at one time, even an apostle. And yet that moment of crisis came and he decided to be disloyal. Can it, can it happen to us? I'm afraid it can. It, it serves as, as an, a lesson as to how far we can fall. Let's think about that. Judas betrays Jesus to what? Judas betrays Jesus to what? Arrest, beating, ridicule, scourging, bearing his cross, humiliation, all, all of those things. So that's what Judas betrayed Jesus to. Now James tells us that we all stumble in many ways, and then he goes on to talk about being careful what we say and how, how we speak. But we all stumble in many ways. And just contrast that with the words of the book of Hebrews, where he talks about those who have enjoyed the blessings that come through Christ and then have fallen away. Now, we all stumble in many ways, but some fall away. Now, Peter stumbled. <laughs> Judas fell away. There was a moment, no doubt, in Judas' mind, he, he crossed the line. So he's thinking about Jesus, and he's thinking about his relationship with Jesus, and, and he, maybe he sees an opportunity there to betray him and enrich himself in, in some way. And so he's thinking about that and thinking about it, and then, and then there comes that moment when he says, I'll do it. He, he crosses the line. Have you, you ever experienced that? <laughs> You think about a thing, and you mull it over in your mind, and you entertain it, and you, you contemplate it, and, you, and then there comes a time, and you cross that line, and you say, I, I'm going to do it. And so we might find ourselves, like Judas, on a slippery slope of sin. Now, how, how do we stop the slide? Well, in the 73rd Psalm, David said, I was awfully troubled. And then I went to the house of the Lord. And then I went to the house of the Lord, and that helped me put everything in perspective. That's the 73rd Psalm, verses 16 and 17. We can immerse ourselves in spiritual things. Remember Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8? Whatever is true, whatever is honorable and right and pure and lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, think, think on these things. And so Judas is just an example of how far we might fall. Once we, once we cross that line, where, where's that going to lead? And how, do you know anybody like that? At one time, a faithful servant, at one time doing very well, growing, developing spiritually, but he or she stepped over that line, and now, oh, they're, they're far away. They're far away. Well, may it not happen to us. And then one other point. It's a lesson in how not to respond to sin. Let me ask you this. Was the sin of Judas unforgivable? Well, was the sin of Judas that much worse than what Peter did? <laughs> you know, Peter says, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know him. Curses and swears. I, I, he denies the Lord. And it's what Judas did that much worse than what, well, maybe in some ways, you know, I, I would grant that. But Peter was forgiven. He sought forgiveness. Peter was forgiven. He was remorseful about what he had done. But 
Judas' remorse seems to be about his inability to live with himself and to bear the shame of what he's done, betraying innocent blood. He doesn't even give God a chance to forgive him. From what I read in the story here, he doesn't try and plead for mercy. Perhaps if he had, things would have been different for him. You remember, we, we looked at this a few weeks ago from the 32nd Psalm. David is struggling with his sin and his conscience is really bothering him about it. His body, he says, is wasting away. He's groaning all day long. And then I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity and I didn't hide. I said, I'll confess my transgression to the Lord. You forgave me of the guilt of my sin. And so here I am, I'm struggling with the guilt of my sin. And so I decided, I'm just going to confess it. Just going to confess it to the Lord. Just bear my soul and just, just let it all out. And you know what? God forgave me and things were, were much, much better after that. Here's an example of how not to deal with sin. You know, there, there are different ways that we can, we can deal with sin, I suppose. Uh, we can defend ourselves and excuse our actions. We do that sometimes. We can blame some, somebody else or someone. You know, you know it, was really, it was really his fault. I know I said those things, but he made me mad. You know, it's really his fault. So we blame somebody else or we blame other circumstances. We, we might try to deny it. What? Well, hey, I didn't do anything wrong. We might become overcome with sorrow. You know, that, Paul warns about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, about becoming overcome with sorrow over what we've done. Well, that, that's not an appropriate response either. The appropriate response is repent. Confess it. Confess it mainly to God, but repent and accept God's forgiveness and move, and move forward. That's, that's what Peter did. He denied the Lord. The Lord forgave him. Gave him work to do, and so Peter moves, moves forward. Now, that, that's the appropriate way to deal with sin. And so, don't be overcome with guilt and sorrow. Not, not when we've confessed it to the Lord and repented of our sins. Accept the Lord's forgiveness and, and move forward. And so, here's just some thoughts about Judas. Maybe you've got other thoughts about Judas as you've been thinking about this, as we've been talking but uh, Judas is a, an interesting figure. I, I, I'm afraid any one of us, if we're not careful, if we're not careful, if we're not thoughtful about what we do, then we can make mistakes very, very much like Judas. And so we need to be careful. So let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful for the opportunity to bow before you in worship today and acknowledge your greatness and majesty and splendor, your glory, to acknowledge your might and wisdom, your grace and love that you've extended to us through Jesus Christ. We are in awe of you, Father. We, we, we fear you. And it's in that sense of awe and fear that we come before you today and, and to offer our worship to you. We, we pray, Father, that, that you're pleased with what we've done today. We're thankful for the word that you've given us, that we can read it, that we can understand it, that we can learn from it. We're, we're thankful for the examples of men and women that we read about in the scriptures, and that we can learn from the good things they do, but we can also learn from the mistakes that they made. Help us, Father, today to resolve to be loyal to you, 
to be faithful to you. Come, come what may, help us to be loyal and faithful every step of the way. If we see, Father, that we've done wrong in our lives, help us to acknowledge that and help us to, to, to face that, confess that, repent of it, accept your forgiveness, and then move forward with the work that you've given us to do. We pray, Father, that you'll be patient with us, that you'll have mercy on us, and that you'll help us to grow and develop into the kind of people that you would have us to be, so that we can enjoy the glory of heaven one day. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here tonight, you're, you're not a Christian.